Welcome to the most empowering show on the radio, uh, the show that proves that you don't have to settle for your life the way it is, that you can, in fact, do the things that you love, face your challenges head on, and start down the path of living the life that you've always wanted. It's called Growing Bolder. I'm Mark Middleton with Bill Schaefer, and today we hope to inspire you through the stories of world-renowned experts, beloved TV stars, and ordinary people that are living extraordinary lives. You know, you said beloved TV stars. We're going to have a rousing and revealing conversation with the always interesting Tony Danza. And one of those renowned experts you mentioned, Mark, has some interesting information on a part of the body that we all need to take better care of. And if you've ever thought about preserving your past or leaving a legacy, we've got a really interesting idea you'll want to hear. And we'll meet a couple of women who found their passion in caring for birds of prey. But first, we're going to talk money with the best and the brightest. Susie Orman has some tips that you won't want to miss amazing people with inspiring stories to tell. This is Growing Boulder. Our next guest is a crusader for truth in finances, probably the best-known personal finance advisor in the entire country, if not the world. Time and Forbes have named her one of the top 100 most influential people in the world, and USA Today calls her a one-woman financial advice powerhouse. And Mark, it's because we trust her. We trust what she has to say. You've seen her everywhere. You've read her books. Her latest is called Women and money. Be strong, be smart, and be secure. We're very glad to get to spend a few minutes with Susie Orman. How are you, Susie? I'm great, boys, and how are you? Oh, another great new book, another way to look at finances, and there is something about this topic, so many of us struggle to figure it out, that we need to start this interview with an important point, and that is that you have struggled, too. You didn't know any more than the rest of us when you started. You wanted to open a restaurant. You invested your money with a reputable broker who lost it all. So how did you use that moment to start growing bolder, to begin to change your own life? Yeah. You know, the truth of the matter is I didn't invest my money. What happened was I was a waitress for seven years making $400 a month in Berkeley, California. And I had this idea I could open up my own restaurant because I was making them money, not myself. My parents had no money, obviously. So the clients, the customers that I had been waiting on for seven years lent me $50,000 to open up my own restaurant and had me put it in a money market account at Merrill Lynch until we could figure out how I would open up my own restaurant. And as you said, to make a very long story short, the financial advisor was crooked and lost all $50,000. Um, within a matter of three months playing the options market. And now I didn't know what to do. So I thought, I know, I know how to grow bolder. I can just be a broker because they make you broker. (laughs) So I went and I interviewed to be a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. I was told women belong barefoot and pregnant, but that they would hire me to fill their women's quota and they would fire me, however, in six months. Of course, I asked them, and this is the most bold statement I made, was how much are you going to pay me to make me pregnant? (laughs) They told me um, $1,500 a month. I figured out very quickly in six months that would be $9,000, which would cost, which would take me two years to make at the Buttercup Bakery. So that's how I started. The boldest move I did make, however, was while I was working for them, and studying to be a financial advisor, I realized what the broker did was illegal. They risked my money when it wasn't my money to risk to begin with. Mm. And with the help of somebody at Merrill Lynch, I ended up suing Merrill Lynch while I worked for them. And because I sued them, they couldn't fire me. And by the time it came to court, I was their number six producing broker, They gave me all the money back, plus 18% interest. Remember, this is now back in 1981, 82, when interest rates were that high, and I was able to pay everybody back plus interest. 
Wow, what a story. All right, let's, let's jump from 1982 to 2018 because Susie Orman's new book is called Women and, and Money. And Susie, I don't know if you'd say it. You just touched upon it. But Bill and I have said many times the financial services industry in general for decades has been very, very sexist. Uh, for the most part, financial advisors do not talk to the women. They talk to the men. Uh, and women do have unique financial needs. Uh, they don't work as much. They're not paid as much. They take time off for caregiving. This is a book that, that, that is really needed. Tell us why you decided to write it now. Yeah, what's important to know about this book is that this book was originally written in 2007 and was a number one New York Times bestseller, had sold millions and millions of copies. Then all these years later, here we are, 11 years later, I decided to bring it out again and update it to really make it for today's woman and what's going on with the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement and what women are doing today. So for those of you listening, if you bought it back in 2007, you don't need to buy it again. That book is fine. Just read it again if you have it. If you didn't get it back then, this is an essential book for your library of life. Because right now, it is more important than ever that women do learn how to be strong, smart, and secure with their money. More women are working today and actually making more money than their male counterparts. But women, if we really look at the dialogue that's going on with women it's almost, and any minority out there today, truthfully, it's almost as if our rights are being taken from us in many different ways. So it's important that we become strong and smart and that we really know what we're doing with our own money and our own life so that really we can live the life that we deserve the older we get. Talking to Susie Orman, and Susie, it's important just to start by having the conversation. People don't want to do that. You know, one of our mantras at Growing Boulder is that it's never too late to change your life. But is that true when it comes to our financial well-being? Is it never too late to begin to save? No, right? One would think that it, it, it's, it's, here's the truth. It's never really too late to begin to save because you can start saving at any time. Is it sometimes too late to save the situation that you're in? I am so sorry to say that sometimes it is. You know, I used to always stand on the world stage and say, it's never too soon to begin and it's never too late to start until I would get letters from women who are 85 and 90 years of age emails from women of that age and saying to me, Susie, my husband just died. I have $30,000 of credit card debt. I just lost one social security check. I lost pension because he died and didn't take the right pension option. We still owe money on our house because we refinanced it to help our kids. I don't have the money to pay for that. What can you do to help me? At that point, there's nothing I can do which is why it's really important that now is the time when you still have a job, when you still have income coming in, when you still have the ability to work, when you're still young enough and vital enough, whether you are 50 or 60 or 70, you still have choices. But your choices start to get limited the older you get, and that is just the reality of life. Susie, before we let you go, we're going to ask you for a financial takeaway. But before that, let me ask you another question, because Bill and I obviously are not financial advisors, but we try to do all we can to help. We talk a lot about the health-wealth connection and the fact that maybe one of the most important investments that anybody can make today that will impact their long-term financial future is to improve their overall health. You seem to be a very vibrant, healthy woman. I'm guessing you take care of your health as well. Your health, it, listen, all the money in the world isn't going to do you any good if you don't have your health. Nothing is sadder when you see multi-billionaires and they get sick or their spouse or their kids get sick and all the money in the world can't save them. So health, I have to tell you, is really equally, if not more important, than your wealth. But they do go hand in hand, you guys, because if you become unhealthy, 
normally you need money to be able to find the doctors and the sources. Oh, there we go. We have a fire alarm in the building that I'm in. But we'll let it go off, if whatever. Want to wait a second until that's over? You know, you never know when emergency is going to strike, and that's your whole that's point, it. Susie. That is the whole point, that you're right there. So the real, the real thing about everything is you've got to take care of your health. But chances are it kind of takes money to do so. All right, Susie, you take care of your health by getting the heck out of that building in case it's not all just right, a drill. I will. We'll see what it's all about, boy. And Thanks folks, a lot. her new book is called Women and Money. You can find it and a lot of great information at SusieOrman.com. Folks, have the conversation. Take the steps you need to give yourself a chance to have the future you dream about. Our thanks to Susie Orman. Up next, whether you know what your passion is or whether you're still trying to find it, here's proof that they sure can change your life. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with a newly expanded ER as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at orlandohealth.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. You know, Bill, some people seem to know exactly what they want to do in life from the moment that they are born. I envy those people. However, if you're not one of them, you are far from alone. Searching for something to be passionate about isn't always easy. In fact, many have found something they love when they least expect it. It's a great point, Mark. Sometimes it's more about the journey, discovering that direction for your life. Sure can happen in the most unusual places and sometimes in some very unexpected ways. But as the two people in this story learned, you have to take a chance sometimes before your dreams can take flight. I was in high school and I was a lost soul. I had no idea. I had no passion for birds. I, I liked animals. I, had, I didn't know where I was going. But after a chance encounter with an injured pelican, Diana Flint had discovered her destiny. She's been at the Audubon Center for Birds of Prey ever since. If you hold a baby eagle in your hands, it's perfection. It's absolute perfection. There's nothing else like it. As a rehabilitation specialist, their lives are often in her hands. Because of the shoulder injury, you can see one shoulder's a little higher than the other. Because of the shoulder uh, fracture, she has no flight at all. Huh. A Merlin. It's actually a Merlin Falcon. High energy. She um, fractured her right wing in a migration. That red-tailed had a fractured wing, did a great job of healing. And now I need to know, are you good enough? Are you ready for release? Hi. What? Let's go. Go for a walk. This is Francis. Francis was uh, two days old when he came to us. And he was on death's door. He fit in the palm of my hand. He was so young and so sick. By following her heart, Flint found a career that to her is so much more than just a job. What have you seen and learned that you'd like to pass along to others about life? Find your passion. Makes all the difference in the world. You know that. You've got your passion. It's very obvious. Who's in there? Anybody you know? I see it in my volunteers. I see it in the staff here. And the moral of the story is that I have been able to see that passion through other people and share it and grow it through other lives. It's really cool. One of those people is Claire Robinson, who walked into the Center for Birds of Prey 11 years ago. She felt such a connection that she's been there ever since as a volunteer. You know, people go, why would you do something for nothing? 
because you're not doing something for nothing. You're getting a reward of feeling good inside and helping and everything. You know, sometimes it's seeing the delight in a small child's face. It's seeing an adult realizing, oh my gosh, I never saw that before. So I want to share that with them. There. What do you think about her, huh? She's pretty. Claire is quite the character. We love her to death. She loves to share what she knows. And that's priceless. Because the people who leave here, after they talk to Claire, they just have so much more appreciation for her. She's a barred owl because she's got the bars going this way on her feathers. How has this experience changed you? In what ways? I have a lot of happiness just because it's fun being here and I feel like I make a difference. And it's important to help out as a part of a team. And you don't ever have to be a loner. You always have somebody to help. Just like Diana Flint, Robinson wasn't looking for just something to do. She was looking for a purpose. She found hers, and it's changed her life. So much so that she's convinced there's something out there for everyone. Don't just sit around and mope about, oh, I'm watching TV all day and everything. Get out there, do something, change the world, help the environment. There's always a volunteer needed somewhere. And you can meet new people, make new friends, everything else, too. They took their own paths to get there at different stages of life, but Robinson and Flint each discovered they have a passion for birds of prey and found fulfillment in using that passion to find their purpose. They've done a lot of stuff together, haven't we? I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate. I've been able to do what I love to do. I'm, I'm fortunate because I found it. I found it when I was in high school, and I was able to continue doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. Well, I know she says that she was lucky, but when you think about it, what both women did really wasn't luck at all. They both made sure they were not only looking for opportunities, but they were open to trying things that they never expected they might be interested in. Such an important point, Mark. And once they stepped in the door, especially in this case at the Audubon Center for Birds of Prey, not only did they find a place where they were needed and where they were appreciated, but they also felt right away they were part of a cause. They were making a difference and that they had a real sense of purpose. And hopefully, folks, the same thing will happen for you, too. Up next, creating a gift so powerful that it will be appreciated for generations to come. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, coming soon in Winter Park. Wellness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. The first step is always the hardest. It's the single step that most people can't take, and it's the single reason why most never achieve their dreams. Success is, more than anything else, an act of faith, and at some point, you have to take a leap of faith. Calculated, strategic risk-taking always has been and always will be the path to success, especially as we age. If you exert a consistent level of intent, you will get to where you want to go. But if not, life, the universe, will push you around. Circumstances that have nothing to do with you will ultimately control your life. You'll be buffeted about by chance and the impact of random events. You might get lucky. Who knows? You may also win the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. Be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. Or as Mark Twain said, go out on a limb. That's where the fruit is.
Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton on Growing Boulder. And do you have a passion project of your own? Something that you work on that gives you great satisfaction or is your way of making a contribution to the world? A passion project can be something big. It can be something small. It can be related to your current work or not. It can be something you make money from or not. Yeah, it is simply something that gets you out of bed every morning, anxious to make a difference. It's pretty much what floats your boat. Jim Hobart does have a passion project, and it's one that we like a lot. It's called the Legacy Life Project. Uh, Jim's been a professional photographer since the day that he graduated from high school. He's the founder of Macbeth Studio, where he and his team are in great demand for photography and videography of all sorts. And today we want to talk to Jim about his passion project, something that's dedicated to his father and inspired by personal regret. Hey, Jim, how are you? are you? Great. Thank you guys for having me on. Well, we love the Legacy Life Project, uh, and as we understand it, the seeds of that project were really planted about 20 years ago when you went to England to visit some relatives, and on a whim, you borrowed a video camera. What happened? Yeah, well, I uh, I was sitting with my aunt, uh, my dad's sister, in uh, her living room in, in southern England, and she was telling me about her days in World War II when she was walking around London after a bombing raid with her brother, carrying a knitting basket and collecting up pieces of shrapnel. And as she was talking about this, this, this world that I had no, no connection to, I said, wait, hold on a minute. And I ran upstairs and I grabbed my video camera that I'd happened to bring with me, set it down on the coffee table and started recording. And I got several hours of the most amazing family stories that uh, that that some of my family members didn't even know. You know, Jim, here I think is where your story ends up being just like stuff that happens to all of us because you wanted to do the same thing for your parents, but it happens to all of us. You get busy, life intervenes, and, and then one day you got a call from your mom. I did. I did. Um, it was actually uh, Thanksgiving of 2017 when... Um, I got a call from my mother that my father had had a seizure, which uh, upon closer inspection by the medical team determined that it was a uh, inoperable brain cancer. And uh, we only had a few months left with him. He, uh, he survived that event, but um, he was never the same. And uh, I realized that I'd missed my window to uh, capture his story in the way that, that I knew him. And obviously, Jim, this is where the personal regrets come in. And, you know, I don't want to let you off the hook any easier than we have, because not only did you interview your aunt in England, you, you kind of put that tape aside, and, and it, it became very valuable to you uh, when she passed away. And it was that opportunity that, that you had with that videotape that made you say, I got to do this for my dad. But you didn't, right? I didn't. I didn't. And um and, and the, the days and weeks following the seizure, when we realized that he was he was still with us, but he wasn't the same anymore, I was beating myself up with this regret of why didn't I why didn't I take that opportunity? Why, why did I procrastinate and not um, get his story captured on video? And uh, and that regret gradually morphed into a realization that yeah, sure, I'm a procrastinator, but it's also really hard it's really difficult to interview a parent um, or a very close loved one yourself and the reason I believe that is uh, is that there's so much assumed there's so much oh you've heard this story before there's a there's a way that people speak to very close relatives that's very different from what's happening right now for example where you are talking to me and I'm giving you lots of detail because I don't assume you know anything already and I think that's the big difference is an impartial, empathetic interviewer can pull information out of people that a family member just isn't privy to. So, folks, you're kind of hearing how the wheels turned here and how Jim Hobart was able to take that regret that he had and turn it into the Legacy Life Project. How does that work now? How does that work for, the, for all of us? Well, the, the Legacy Life Project, as you say, is a, it's a passion project, and it evolved out of my regret from missing the opportunity to talk to with my dad and realizing that he and I didn't have the kind of relationship where I could just say, tell me everything, Dad. And so 
what I want to do is try to help others not have the same regrets I did. And so the Legacy Life Project is, a, is we provide a service which um, you call us up. We, we, we write a list of questions so we know what we're going in for. We ask meaningful questions to a grandparent or a parent or anyone who you choose. And then we package that together in a um, one or two hour video collection with B-roll of, of that person in their own home, in their own comfortable chair, doing the ordinary everyday things that are so meaningful to you, but you may not realize it until after they're gone. You know, that's a great point. I would give anything right now to have some video of my grandmother baking a pie because, you know, that's how I remember her. She was alive. I was old enough. I had a video camera, but I, I never thought to do that. Uh, folks, we're talking with Jim uh, Hobart from Macbeth Studio who started this great new passion project, the Legacy Life Project, and essentially what he and his team do, and this is a, a, a crack team of really talented people, they create a mini biofilm, kind of a personal documentary. Uh, and Jim, when people People hear this, many might think, uh, wow, that's a great idea, but but I'm not worthy. I mean, you've learned just the opposite. Everyone's got a compelling story, right? Well, you're absolutely right. And and the the thing we realized is that anybody, if you sit down and ask ask open ended questions, the stories that come out not only are interesting and um, meaningful and moving, but in many cases we've heard stories that the, the, the children, the people who actually hired us to do the interviews didn't even know. So um, that's the beauty of talking with a stranger is you sometimes just, you just speak from the heart and say interesting things. So, so our team rolls in and we do a, you know, we, we get some B-roll, which for those who aren't in the film industry, is just footage that doesn't have any audio with it. That's just people doing the things they do. So for example, making some coffee, baking a pie, as you say, uh, watering the plants in the garden, sitting in their favorite chair, all the things that, and I take my word for this because I speak from experience, the mundane and the ordinary are the things you miss the most when the person is gone. You know, it's funny, we've gone from the era of having those photo scrapbooks that are so near and dear to everybody, and now there really is no reason not to document all of our loved ones' lives. Right on. And speaking of scrapbooks, one of the best parts um, of, of, our, of our photo shoots is when we, or the video shoots, is when we have, uh, you know, Grandma open up an old photo album and go through it and point at the pictures and tell us what's meaningful about it. Because that's not written down anywhere. She'll say, oh, this is, this is that neighbor of ours that did this crazy thing. And that car right there, my uncle bought on a, you know, one in a bet or something. And suddenly... The, the person who, who hired us, usually a child or grandchild, looks at us like, I had no idea about this. You know, it is fascinating, and Jim, we're, we're so grateful that you do this. I think, as we all know, genealogy is now a multi-billion dollar business. Uh, there is no doubt that the interest in discovering and preserving our ancestry is now huge. Unfortunately, though, there are no old videos of our great-great-great-grandparents, but thanks to Jim Hobart and the Legacy Life Project team, that won't be the case in 100 years. I mean, Bill, I truly believe uh, that this is something that everyone will have or at least like to have, almost like a will. I think you and Jim brought up probably the best point of all is that all of us think that we have more time than we do. And there's only really one time to capture those stories, the wisdom, the unique personalities of those people that we know. And, and the time is now. All of the details about the Legacy Life Project, how it works and what it costs, it's all online at LegacyLifeProject.com. Dot com And Mark, it's an important thing, whether you use a professional company or even try it yourself, don't pass up the opportunity to, to save a piece of the people that are closest to you. Yeah, I think what you need more than anything else is a guy with, with empathy and with heart and with curiosity to come into your house and, and lead this uh, project. And Jim Hobart definitely is that. And, and in addition, Bill, to go onto their website, uh, people should check out their page on Facebook, Legacy Life Project on Facebook. You'll learn a lot more about what they do. Yeah, it's not just life. It's not just about learning about other people's families, but it's also preserving your own for people who are interested and for the generations to come.
Up next, we all know we need to keep our heart and brain healthy, but a leading national expert from the UCF College of Medicine says there is another critically important area that is too often ignored. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Masan Spine Institute, where world-renowned minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Masan Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at masansi.com. And by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble to neglect. You are listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer. What would you think is the third leading cause of death in the United States? The answer here is a little bit surprising. It's COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. More than 11 million people have been diagnosed with it, but the scary part is the actual number of people who have it may be far greater. It's a disease of which there's no cure, and the number of deaths keep going up. Is there anything that we can do about it? Well, our next guest is the Associate Dean for Clinical Affairs and a professor of medicine at the UCF College of Medicine. She is also a nationally recognized expert on lung diseases, including asthma, cystic fibrosis, and COPD. Let's say hi to Dr. Dr. Marsha Katz. How are you, Dr. Katz? I'm well. Thank you for inviting me to the program. You know, when we heard that statistic, we were pretty surprised here. COPD is still on the rise. I I thought for some reason that it was predominantly like a smoker's disease. Um, It is. About 85 to 90 percent of all patients diagnosed with COPD have a history of smoking either in their past or actively. But there are a lot of other environmental um, issues that can also contribute, as well as we can't minimize the effect of passive smoking, i.e. secondhand smoke from family members, parents, loved ones. Even though the rate of smoking in our nation is going down, and clearly it's really caught on as a non-issue with young emerging adults, um, there is no doubt that we are seeing the effects of smoking in latency period of 30 to 40 years where more patients are presenting with signs and symptoms of COPD. Not, not good at all. You, you also mentioned that there are environmental factors as well. Is there something that we could do to, to try to minimize our chances of getting this? Yeah, certainly avoiding smoky environments. Um, Air pollution is a large contributor. I certainly wouldn't fly to Beijing and spend a lot of time there. They have very crisis-oriented pollution. But you want to make sure that if you have respiratory disease or avoid areas where there is high pollution, as well as make sure that your environment at home has good aeration, that you decrease your exposure to uh, secondhand smoke and dust, fumes and chemicals if you work in engineering or in an occupation that exposes you to fumes. Clearly, OSHA and other environmental considerations there's a lot of regulations controlling that. So it's not as similar issue as it was 20 years ago. But all of these environmental exposures can contribute to COPD. And we have patients who develop COPD that we can't pinpoint a reason or a cause or an etiology. But we still treat them aggressively and hope we can mitigate symptoms and improve quality of life. Talking with uh, Dr. Marsha Katz from the UCF College of Medicine, we one of the things, one of the reasons we really wanted to hone in on this topic, Dr. Katz, is that, we, as we said, there are a lot of undiagnosed cases out there. How hard is it to diagnose? And, and for people who, you know, sometimes shortness of breath is something that happens to all of us, how do we know if that's normal or if it's something we need to investigate? a very good question. Clearly, we, we, the American College of Physicians and certainly the American Thoracic Society recommends that patients should be screened 
who have a history of smoking, active or in their in their past, as well as exposure to secondhand smoke, should be screened with an office-based test called spirometry. And what that test does is it measures the ability for the patient to blow out air in a specific amount of time. It's a simple procedure, and if there is abnormalities, it can be the first sign of emphysema even in, or COPD, even in a patient who is not having shortness of breath. So we recommend that every patient who has a history of smoke exposure, either secondhand or directly, should undergo a yearly spirometry. And then based on that result, a decision is made of further testing. That alone would improve the screening of patients. And then after that, it's obviously taking a good history and physical and letting the public be aware of signs and symptoms that are related to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. They include cough, wheezing, and shortness of breath. But it is interesting because, we're, you know, the, the conversation generally is ways to keep our body healthy or ways to keep our mind healthy, but we don't often think or talk about our lungs or respiratory issues. Are there things we can do to make sure we keep those healthy? Yeah, absolutely. You can increase your lung capacity through exercise. Um, aerobic exercise is highly recommended. It can be indoor or outdoors based on where you live. But daily exercise will certainly help improve lung capacity. If patients have a history of asthma and asthma-related symptoms, there are medications, short-acting, opening the airway, or bronchodilators, that can help those patients exercise to their full capacity and improve their lung capacity. Well, what, what are some of the most, uh, I, I would hate to say common, but with the most often seen respiratory issues that, that you see people dealing with a, as we get older? As we age, our ability to have the same respiratory muscle strength decreases, as well as chronic cough. Clearly, in a place like Orlando, and not uncommon in the southeast, we have a lot of allergens in the air. So allergy can cause respiratory symptoms, including sinus disease, allergic rhinitis, runny nose, that then can cause chronic cough. And that's a very common thing we see as we grow older. And even if a patient hasn't had allergies as a young person, as they grow grow older, they can acquire allergies to environmental triggers, including cedar, et cetera, things that are ubiquitous in, in central Florida. In addition, patients also can complain of chest pain and shortness of breath. That's rare. And it's up to our primary care physicians to be able to separate out underlying lung disease or heart disease. But clearly, the most common symptoms are wheezing and cough. You know, it's really good information because so many times these types of issues are easy to push to the side and say, well, you know, maybe I was just tired or maybe I haven't been working out. But there is a respiratory issues that we do need to be alert to and we do need to take care of. Our thanks to Dr. Marsha Katz for sharing some great information from the UCF College of Medicine. Up next, he's one of our favorite actors, especially from Taxi and Who's the Boss? Tony Danza is here with a take on aging you won't want to miss. This is Growing Bolder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. 
You're listening to Growing Boulder along with Mark Middleton. I'm Bill Schaefer. We're about to talk with a well-known actor who, over his career, he's he's done it all, Mark. He's had his own talk show. He's done Broadway a number of times, movies, TV. He's been nominated for an Emmy and four Golden Globes, and now he's coming back to TV, hopefully for more. Yeah, there is very little this guy cannot do. I think we all first got to know him as one of the stars of the show Taxi, but you also know him from Who's the Boss? And on the big screen from Angels in the Outfield, more recently in Don Juan, but now he's in a show that he hopes will go right up there in terms of popularity with all of the rest. It's an original Netflix production that's called The Good Cop. Let's say hi to Tony Danza. Hey, Tony, how are you? What's happening, Mark? Hey, Bill, what's going on? Hey, man, you know, Mark, I went to college with a guy named Mark Middleton, and he spelled it with a C. You know what? You forgot about all the good times we had together, <laughs> Tony. It, it was... We we probably shouldn't talk about all that because I, I think you and I are exactly the same age. Uh, but but anyways, I can't imagine uh, anybody to play a, a role from a show that's called The Good Anything more than you because you are the, the definitive good guy. And this has got to be exciting for you. It's been a while since you've had the lead in a big show. Why have you uh, why has it taken so long? And what about the good cop appeal to you? Well, you know, it's always about the writing. And uh, the writer in this case is, uh, is also the creator of Monk, Andy Breckman, a longtime writer for Saturday Night Live, and, and uh, the David Letterman show. He's a, really a, he's a bit of a genius. And the script was so fun. I mean, I just went, wow, this is, it reminded me of Columbo, of those, old, those kind of shows, which, which were, uh, you know, it has a little bit of a puzzle, a murder mystery. But it's not dark, dark, dark. You know, like a lot of Netflix shows are dark. And a lot of the shows that are on are dark. But this is like a lighthearted. It's an odd couple. Josh Groban's going to surprise a lot of people because he's really funny. Um, and here's the thing. Josh is fighting and I'm singing. It's the craziest <laughs> thing, you know. Tony, listen, you, you don't you don't have time for a series. You, you're too busy. You're tap dancing. You're singing, telling stories, playing the ukulele. Tell everybody about that side of you. Yeah, well, you know, I've been out uh, touring uh, with an act of four guys in a band and myself, and it's called Standards and Stories. And we've been playing all over the place. We've been all over. We Williamsport, Pennsylvania, then then Staten Island, and then we go up to Canada. I mean, so we we really been having a, a fun time, you know, and the, it's the kind of show where you try to make a connection with the audience, and I've been just having a lot of success with it. It's been so much fun, and as you say, I sing, tell some stories, tap dance, and then bring out my secret weapon, my ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, folks, if you don't recognize the voice, we're speaking with uh, Tony Danza, who has uh, seemingly no limit to his number of interests, which is, you know, one of the things we really dig about this guy. Uh, and, Tony, do we remember this right? Didn't you do something with your real son not long ago, a, a cookbook or something like that? And, and that, oh, had to yeah. be, that had to be yeah. exciting to do something with your kid. Well, you know why? What's so exciting about that is that, you know, my son was born when he was 19, when I was 19. So when you have a son when you're 19, I was 19 a month. So when you have a son, that a kid that age, that young, you could, one of two things can happen. You can ruin both of your lives, <laughs> or you grow up with the greatest relationship because you basically grow up together. And, and the real beauty of having a kid when you're this young is that he gets to know all your relatives. He knew his great-grandmother. He lived with my mother. He knew all the uncles, all the aunts. And so we sat down and tried to write this sort of memoir cookbook. So we like we'd say we tell the story about Uncle John and and, and tell this recipe that he liked. You know what I mean? And it, and it, and what was great was he knew stories that I didn't know. And you know what I mean? So it, and by the way, I'm, he's got two boys. He's he, it's really profound to watch your son fathering his sons, especially when he's so much better at it than you are. I said to him the other day, I said, son, you know what the difference between you and me as a father is? I said, you see how you take, you take your kids to play baseball? I used to take you to watch me play baseball. Yeah. So, you know, so it's great. And I, and I use that relationship in the show with Josh because um, I, I just tried to overlay my son and my, our relationship on Josh and I. And Josh bought in. And so we really have, aside from everything else that's going on in the show, one of the things that's really great is this really cool father-son dynamic. They butt heads 
but they love each other. You know, isn't isn't time, Tony? Isn't that the weirdest thing? I mean, anytime we want, we can turn on taxi and and see you frozen in time and in, in your twenties. You know, it's it's hard to believe that that you're in your late sixties now. How are you doing? How good is life at sixty seven? Well, remember, first of all, I'm six, I, I'm sixty eight because when you get to sixty seven, you're sixty eight. But anyway, I'm here. I'm living. I'm I'm you know uh, I was living in Los Angeles for a long time. And uh, I, unfortunately, my marriage broke up, and I ended up moving back to New York. And, and I got to tell you, you know, being in New York City, single at this stage of my life, as well as you, you might imagine, it's uh, it's nice. It's a good time. So I'm really enjoying uh, life. And 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 by the way, we got to shoot the show here in New York City, which is one of the great privileges of all time to use New York as a canvas. And so I'm just. You know, I'm really living large between the act, between this, between my family. Everybody's good, thank goodness. My kids are all healthy and, and doing well, and and I have grandkids. How about that? <laughs> you know, Tony, you're a guy uh, who, who deserves to, to to be seen and heard on on whatever medium there there is. But you know, your new show is on Netflix. Isn't this an amazing time for guys like you? There are so many different distribution channels, uh, streaming services like Netflix, which is spending what eight billion dollars next year to produce original content. I mean, it is a literally a world of new opportunity for someone like you, isn't it? No, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what else too? You mentioned the money. You know, they really, they really support you resource-wise. I mean, just shooting in New York is very expensive. I give you an example. We we were on location in Long Island City, and uh, uh, we're a big operation, trucks, and you know, you know what I mean. And so we get there, and there's a construction site in our location. It's just giant backhoes, dump trucks, guys standing around doing nothing. I thought they worked for the city. But anyway, <laughs> I, I said to the producer, I said, why couldn't we find a location with, without uh, a construction site? And I walked over to the construction site. I talked to the guy. They were atmosphere. They were extras. Wow. It was a detail of the, of the set. That's awesome. You know, Tony, nobody, yeah, so nobody, that- nobody could sustain a career like the one that you have, one that's still going strong if you still didn't love it like you always have. So leave us with a Tony Danza pep talk about how to get the most out of life as we all grow older. Well, you know, I, I think number one is that when you do get an opportunity like this, you can't go in there to succeed. You can't go in there to have somebody see you and get another job. Like when I do my live act, I, I don't go up there to get a good review. I, I go up there to enjoy the gift that's been given to me because everybody in the audience would love to be doing what I'm doing, but I'm the guy getting to do it. So that's number one is that you have to really just go up there and have a good time. Enjoy yourself because it is a gift. And the other thing is you have to truly believe that even though you can't do what anybody else can do, they can't do what you can do. Yep, all of us. All of us have that something that makes us different and unique, and it's one of the reasons we love Tony Danza. Check out his new show called The Good Cop on Netflix. And I'm telling you, keep an eye out on Broadway and who knows where else because this guy loves what he does, and a lot of people love watching him do it. Our thanks to the great Tony Danza. If they could see me now, that little gang of mine. I'm eating fancy chow and drinking fancy wine. I'd like to stumble bums to see for a fact the kind of top shelf first rate chums I attract. All I can say is, wow, he look of where I am. Tonight I landed pow, right in a bowl of jam. But instead of holy cow, they'd never believe it if my friends could see me. Friends could see me. Friends could see me now. Well, it's been another great ride, Billy. We've heard from some amazing people, inspiring messages, and now it's time to take the next step. So what about you? What's your growing bolder story? What do you want it to be? It's up to you to think about it and then find a way to start living it. And here's how you get going. Go to growingbolder.com and click on the shop button or subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine. Read Mark's book, like Growing Boulder on Facebook, watch Growing Boulder TV. Do you get the point, folks, it's time to surround yourself with energy, optimism, and inspiration. Don't be okay anymore with just going through the motions. Take control and start living your life to the fullest, because that's growing bolder. 
Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Oh,